0: This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Divine Echoes, reconciling prayer with the uncontrolling love of God. How the heck does petitionary prayer work in a world where there's so much suffering and evil? Is praying for others just a religious superstitious practice that does nothing at all except make the person praying feel better? If we don't pray for others, does God allow them to get sicker, lose potential rent money, and suffer in their addictions? Is that who God really is? Can we engage in prayer that is more effective, less harmful, and doesn't make God look like an unfair, stingy, and fickle jerk? If you are looking for a pioneering book on prayer that is thought-provoking, challenging, and endorsed by some of today's most well-known authors and scholars, then Divine Echoes is the book for you. Well, hello, everybody, this is Catherine Toon, and I can't seem to get enough of second cup with Keith. It is theological caffeine for my brain. Hello, and welcome back to second cup with Keith. Yes, it's me, Keith Giles, and I'm sitting here with my, um, well, technically not really my second cup of the day. Uh, it's my third cup, uh, but it's tea. I've already had my second cup of coffee. Uh, and I poured myself a nice hot mug of uh, some really good orange cinnamon tea, and uh, sat down to record this episode of Second Cup with Keith with you, and welcome. So um, in this episode, I thought what I would talk about is, well, something that I feel like um, I kind of danced around it a tiny bit here and there, even in our last episode, I touched on this a tiny bit. but probably, I could probably go back and look at two or three other episodes where I at least made reference to some things that I'm going to kind of really go deeper into in this episode. So this episode, um, we're going to talk about sympathy for Paul. And the reason why I feel like this is important to do is a couple of things. Um, one reason is that I hear people say quite a bit. Um something like you know i love jesus but i hate paul um so they want to put jesus against paul for example and i understand it on one level uh, i i know a lot of people will read uh certain things in some of paul's epistles some of his letters and writings and um what they typically don't like what they push back against is you know uh certain passages that let's say like we dealt with in our previous episode um kind of these clobber passages uh, that appear, at least on the surface, appear to be condemning of people who are gay or uh, trans or homosexual or just generally not straight. Now again, so we did a whole episode in the last episode dealing with that specific topic, and hopefully in the process of going through those clobber passages, right, looking at the passages in 1 Corinthians and in Romans, Hopefully, I was able to show you that um, those passages really don't say what we've been told they say. And so, um, you know, that means we need to take a step back and reevaluate. Well, then, you know, what is Paul really all about? And is Paul really sort of a homophobic, you know, person? And And I guess on one level, just to be really totally honest, I guess I could say I don't know. Uh, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know if we went back in time and we could and we could speak, you know, Greek or Aramaic, uh, and we could sit down with the actual Paul the Apostle and interview him for a little bit, um, would he come across as someone who was, you know, against this idea uh of homosexuality? Well, probably, maybe, at least on the level of like um, as we talked about in the last episode when we see the way Paul uses this language about, um, you know, what he says, what he, what he calls going against nature, right? In First Corinthians, when he says that, you know, doesn't nature itself teach you that uh, if a woman has short hair, it's an abomination, or if a man has long hair, it's an abomination. In his mind, this is going against the natural order of things as he understands it. And, it, and to go the extra step of condemning not homosexuality because this is not the word he uses uh even though your english translation might say that um but as we as we learned in the last episode what he condemns is being malakoy which is soft or effeminate or again in his mind in paul's mind it that would have meant a man who shaved his beard and so if paul is going to say hey any man that has long hair or shaves his beard uh, is Malachi and will not inherit the kingdom of God that does be, say yeah well then maybe he was against you know those kinds of things and then he probably would have been against um a man who loved another man or a woman who loved another woman um so yeah you could probably say that but again he doesn't go as far as to condemn specifically homosexuality in his uh in his writings but um When it comes to uh, the other reason why people might not like the writings of Paul, of course, would be the sort of patriarchal passages, um, which I believe we also have dealt with in a previous episode, yes, uh, as an episode where I talked about Jesus, Paul, and women. And what I tried to do in that episode is to point out that um, in spite of some occasional passages that might be uh, troublesome, I guess to put it kindly, the truth is that a lot of those passages are not as anti-women as we have been told. Uh, And so again, if you're curious about those, go back and check those out. So I've already done some episodes where I have tried to go and look at specific passages and point out um, that some of these clobber passages that are used, uh, and again, from the mouth of Paul, To condemn homosexuality, or and specifically people who are uh, gay or you know non-straight people, that they may not be as condemning as we might think or as we've been told. So uh, that's one thing, and of course even the passages that condemn women. Now again, um, even though when even when we soften some of those by revisiting the language and looking at the context and historical context and what's really being said and what's not being said. And again, I hope all that was is helpful. It might give us a more sympathetic view of Paul than we might otherwise have. But that does not mean that Paul is as open-minded and affirming and accepting as we might wish he was. And I think you can say the same thing about maybe his views on slavery, right? But a lot of this can be solved, I think, if we're going to approach this from the side of an apology or a sympathy for the Apostle Paul. There's two main things we need to keep in mind. And I think the most important thing to keep in mind is this, that not every letter or epistle or book in the New Testament attributed to Paul the Apostle is actually written by Paul the Apostle. And so sometimes when people are angry at Paul they're not really angry at Paul they're angry at whoever it was that wrote that book in the Bible in the New Testament that has Paul's name on it and uh that's what I want to talk a little bit about in this episode and then I also want to deal with what I talked about in the beginning the, the comment and, and that uh, people say you know I love Jesus but I really I hate Paul I don't like Paul and what's behind that statement and hopefully do a little bit of an apologetic there as well and say, well, maybe Jesus and Paul are not as far off as you might think. So let's start first, though, with the uh, attribution of of letters uh, and uh, the books in the New Testament that some say, you know, I, I guess, again, this this is the problem, again, with our Bibles. Um, and my heart goes out to any any average Christian out there who just, you know, you went to the store, you went on Amazon, you, you bought a Bible, it was on sale. Uh, you know, somebody said, hey, the New King James is a good translation, or maybe the New American Standard, or the New Revised Standard, or the NIV, or whatever. Anyway, you go and you bought, you bought some uh, Bible, or maybe you inherited a Bible from your mom or dad or whatever. Anyway, you have a Bible in your hand, but maybe you got a couple of them in your house. You uh, you want to know, hey, what does this verse say, or what is? What does Jesus say about this? What does Paul say about that? You grab your Bible, you flip open, and you just put your finger there and you read. Oh, well, Paul says blah, blah, blah. Or Jesus says blah, blah, blah. And then again, the the problem is there's a really great chance that that is not at all what Jesus actually said or what Paul actually said. In other words, our English translations are, to put it bluntly, a mess. Uh, They're a mess. Um, This is actually even the reason why um, some of us, some friends of mine, are talking at this very moment about the possibility of uh, writing a sort of a New Testament commentary to kind of go and look at certain passages, like key passages, important passages, that in most people's English Bibles are misrepresenting the text. Now, if you don't want to wait for that, and I understand because it's probably going to take at least a year before we finish this project, Uh, But um, in the meantime, I highly recommend that for the New Testament, you pick up David Bentley Hart's New Translation of the New Testament. It's an excellent new translation, and he deals with probably 85% of those passages, um, has wonderful footnotes uh, underneath most of those explaining why he translated it differently than what you're going to see in, again, the, the average New Testament translation you probably have on the shelf. Uh, let me just say, too, that uh, there are, even though, you know, you, you might flip open your Bible and read, you know, that Paul wrote this book or that book. Again, that isn't always the case. So I'm actually going to read now from, um, there's some uh, postscript, sort of an afterward to David Bentley Hart's new translation of the New Testament. Uh, if you have a copy of it, it's on page 567. And he has a, a little section called Notes on Authorship. And I'm going to quote a little bit from that, and then we're going to talk about it. So he says this um, right here at the beginning. He says, Most scholars are in agreement that seven of the letters traditionally attributed to the Apostle Paul are indisputably authentic. And in the most likely chronological order, those books are 1 Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 Corinthians, Philemon, Philippians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. Now he does say that there are a few scholars who will doubt the authenticity of 1 Thessalonians and even of Philippians, but he says that's those are on kind of feeble grounds uh, of which the do they do that. And then he also has a note, otherwise the books of the canon are of uncertain authorship and in some cases are pseudonyms or, or We would say pseudepigrapha, meaning we don't know. For example, in Hebrews, it's completely anonymous. We do not know who wrote Hebrews at all. And even, he says, I'm still reading, even the four Gospels were given their names probably only in the second century, uh, and the stories that came to surround those names are legendary at best. So we're not going to deal with the Gospels at the moment. We're just going to deal specifically with the writings of Paul because that's what this episode is all about, sympathy for Paul. And so, um, so think about that understand that these are the only pretty much you know undisputed letters of paul with minor exceptions and so that means as far as we know the only letters in your new testament that the apostle paul actually wrote there's only seven 1 thessalonians galatians 1st corinthians 2nd corinthians philemon philippians and romans that's it so that leaves out Colossians, Ephesians, First and Second Timothy, and Titus, or what's called the uh, pastoral epistles. And and again, so yeah, First Corinthians is yes, that is a, a real letter of Paul. But even then, that letter, as we looked at in previous episodes, um, has some very problematic. Uh, I want to say probably intentional you know, mistranslation errors going on there. And so, um, it, again, it's a mixed bag. It's very difficult to kind of get at what is really going on here. Uh, and again, if you're if you're struggling with this yourself, I, I do recommend David Bentley Hart's New Testament. Uh, I think it'll be very, very helpful for you along those lines. And so what do we do with this, right? Well, number one, um, 1 and Second Timothy have some of the most problematic language regarding women. And we've already dealt with that in a previous episode, as I said, Jesus, Paul, and women. Uh, go back and check that out. Um, so yeah, good chance that Paul himself didn't write any of that in 1 and 2 Timothy. So if you're going to get angry about what you read in 1 and 2 Timothy, it's not not Paul that you should be upset about, uh, or upset at. But yes, at the same time, there are still in the undisputed letters of Paul, there are still some problematic things, and you just have to chalk that up to, well, he was a product of his time. Uh, He grew up in a very uh, patriarchal society, very patriarchal religious system, and yes, unfortunately, some of that did carry over. At the same time, though, even in spite of that, in spite of the fact that Paul was a product of his time, even in spite of the fact that he was raised in a very strong patriarchal system, we can still see how many times he went out of his way to honor women. And uh, so give him some points. Give him some some wiggle room for that. At least he's trying. At least he's trying to overcome that. And yes, once in a while, some of that might slip through the, uh, the actual letters of Paul. And um, the same way you'd have grace for yourself or somebody else um, learning uh, to think differently. We're all in this process of metanoia. Uh, and it is a process, once in a while Paul might, might uh, let some of that slip through and you might go, yeah, dude, that was really misogynistic right there. What are you doing? And yeah, that's going to happen. So uh, I also want to say about this, <clears throat> like, um, and I may have said this before, but you know, when I first came across this kind of stuff, and, and uh, actually I came across it years ago when I was writing the book Jesus Unbound, which is all about the canon of Scripture and how we got the Bible and all that, Uh, When I realized that, oh my gosh, Paul didn't, most likely Paul the Apostle himself did not write Ephesians or Colossians, um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's really depressing, you know, because I love, I love so much of both of those. They're probably two of my favorite New Testament um, books. And uh, I just had to come to the conclusion that, look, whoever wrote it, even if his name wasn't Paul the Apostle, whoever wrote it was inspired, in my mind. Uh, Because what what I read in Colossians, what I read in Ephesians is so beautiful it is such a beautiful Christology. Um, it's a just a kind of transcendent, um, non dualistic. Um, everyone is one in Christ. Like the Christology in Ephesians and Colossians is just so beautiful and so amazing. Um, I kind of don't care that Paul didn't write it. And now the other thing about this too, and he makes a note of this too, and I want to I want to turn to this part of it as well because this is also something that's important to understand. What he points out is that. Um, our modern attitudes about authorship are very different than the attitudes of authorship in the first century, and it's just the way it is. Um, we have to overcome our bias. We have a we have a certain bias against um, the idea of, like, for example, you and I would never dream of writing a book and then putting, you know, written by Stephen King you know and then publishing it cuz like what is that that's plagiarism that's that's uh, uh, it's not even plagiarism plagiarism would be to steal Stephen King's book and put your name on that's that's the opposite of that um no it would be like basically you're lying right you're falsifying a document right it's almost like a forgery you're saying you're claiming that this book that you wrote was written by Stephen King but Stephen King did not write the book right and of course there's reasons why because you're going to make a lot of money if you can convince a bunch of people that Stephen King wrote that book, they're going to buy it thinking it's a Stephen King book, but it's not. Now, understand the first century. This was not the issue. They weren't selling books in the bookstore. That's not what was going on here. Um, it was common. Uh, I'm going to read a quote in a second from David Bentley Hart. Again, this is from the back of the uh, the notes in the back of his New Testament translation. But in my own words, I'm just going to explain it. So it was not uncommon. For example. Um, If you were the disciple of a certain thinker, philosopher, uh, theologian, rabbi, and you had studied under them for many years and learned so much from them, and then they died, and then you, wanting to honor them and their teachings, you would write it down, and then you would publish it under their name, right? And so... If you studied under Socrates, for example, and Socrates taught you all this amazing wisdom, and then Socrates died, um, then you would write down everything that you would learn from Socrates, and then you would say, written by Socrates. And that would not be seen as a forgery, that would not be seen as plagiarism, that would not be seen as being dis- dishonest. In fact, it would be the most honest thing, because what you're you're not trying to claim that this wisdom is yours. You're not saying, you know, you're not, you're not taking everything you learned from Socrates, in other words, I'm saying written by Keith Giles. Because, hey, hold on, Keith, <laughs> uh, you didn't come up with that. You got that from Socrates. And so the most honest thing would be to write down the things you learned from your teacher and your rabbi and to put their name on it and not your name. In fact, you'd want to be invisible. You, you, Why well, even mention my name? Who am I? Right. It doesn't matter who I am. I'm only somebody who has sat at the feet of a great wise person uh, who taught me all these beautiful truths and to sign their name to it would, in your mind and in the first century would be the highest honor and the most accurate thing you could do. Um, so I'm going to read uh, from, this is actually the very end of the notes from David Bentley Hart, um, and he says this. He goes, I imagine that for such believers in verbal inspiration of Scripture, the suggestion that the authors of some of the books of the New Testament were not in fact who they represented themselves as being, must seem especially intolerable. It is unlikely, moreover, that I will assuage the distress of the aggrieved textual literalist to observe that such pseudonymy was a common and even marginally acceptable practice in late antiquity, and that religious and speculative texts were often written in the voice of authorities long dead or even merely legendary, and that by antiquity's more generous standards of authenticity, quote unquote, a text composed of redacted or rearranged materials by an author, or even merely composed by disciples of his school, could still be attributed to him, right? And so, um, I think it's really important to understand that. Uh, it's it's not necessarily such a bad thing. Now, I want to say, though, I, I personally, though, would make a distinction, because there even under the list of of the pseudepigrapha of paul the the disputed letters of Paul, let's say right, which would include Colossians, Ephesians, first and second Timothy, and Titus, okay, even though all of all five of those books are I would say none of them written by the apostle paul um i they're not all not all of them are created equal because again what you will read in Ephesians. And what you will read in Colossians is radically different than what you're going to read in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. What what you read in 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus is much more, it sounds much more like it's written by a 2nd century bishop who uh, is very concerned about controlling the people in the congregation, uh, assigning to them very strict rules of doctrine and theology and behavior and these are things that the um, the undisputed, the legitimate letters of Paul are not as concerned with. So I see the quote-unquote pastoral letters largely as being written by someone who is less inspired by Paul's Christology um, and his love for Jesus and his uh, his excitement about uh, realizing the transcendent nature of the Christ that fills everything and everyone in every way, as it says in Philippians and Colossians. Oh, sorry, in uh, Ephesians and Colossians, that is radically different than the the voices that we read in First and Second Timothy, which again are more concerned about you know shut these people up, don't let these people talk, don't let these people teach, make sure the women dress a certain way. Make sure the men do this and that. You know what I mean? It's very rules oriented, very control oriented, um, very much trying to coerce people to behave certain ways under sort of this threat of the authority of the apostle. In the non disputed epistles of Paul, what we actually will read, what we will, what we should notice is how often the real Paul, um, has a very beautiful, elegant, understated, Um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, it's, it, Paul is always taking a slower approach to behavior modification, where he appeals to the reader um, and to the people, you know, in that particular fellowship, he appeals to their own personal sense of what is Christ-like. He calls them to remember for themselves their first love, and he appeals to them and trusts them. You know, to to discern for themselves um, what is loving, what is Christ like, and uh, quite often in, in the uh, the true letters of Paul, uh, what you see is Paul even mentioning things like, you know, look, I I'm not coming at you with a stick, meaning, look. Uh, yes, I'm an apostle, and yes, I've got "quote unquote" some kind of authority. But I will not come down on you and use this sort of power over, you know, coercion to force you to do what I said. He recognizes that it's much more important that they understand the heart of Christ, the heart of the issue. Uh, in other words, what does it what does it mean to follow Christ? I wonder, He 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 appeals to them and say. Remember who Jesus is. Remember who Jesus was and what Jesus was all about, and he appeals to them on that level, and he trusts that if he does that, they will make the right decision. And that to me, is truly Paul. Uh, the letter of Philemon is a just a I mean it's a master class on that exact thing. If you want to go and read Philemon and read uh, the real Paul using this masterful argument um that is not at all commanding uh you know Onesimus to do this one specific thing but uh, you know appealing to him in such a way that's like well if you listen to what i'm saying there's really pretty much there's no way you can do anything other than exactly what i'm saying right so yeah did i say Onesimus i think Onesimus was the slave right Philemon uh yes Philemon is the uh is the one who owned the slave Onesimus was the slave that ran away but yeah, go and read that if you want a masterclass, and then you'll read it in other letters as well. As I said, places where Paul will say, you know, he'll say, "Look, yeah, look, I'm an apostle. I have, I have the authority, but look, I'm not going to use my authority like a stick to beat you into submission." And it will even say, "Look, I, I don't need to do that. Why? Because you guys know Christ for yourselves." And anyway, so when you when you read the legitimate letters of Paul, you see that, and you don't see that in first and second Timothy and in Titus. And for me, that's why I'm personally just kind of ready to just chuck those three and say, not only are they not from Paul, they're not from someone that I think really truly gets it, <laughs> that really truly has the heart of Christ. Um, or at least if, even if they do, they're certainly not uh, appealing to that in their writing of these letters. They're taking a much different uh, approach than legitimately the true Paul would have taken. Now, um, I'm sorry, I've talked for almost half an hour here and I haven't gotten to uh, this whole argument of, um, or this dispute, I should say, this debate between sort of Jesus versus Paul. And so one thing I will hear from people is that, well, Jesus preached the gospel and Paul preached sort of like this different gospel. Not true. Um, Many, many different places Uh, where Paul, in his own words, says that he preached the good news, or the gospel, of the kingdom. The, The gospel of the kingdom is exactly what Jesus preached. So Jesus and Paul are in agreement that the gospel is about the kingdom of God. Now, Paul doesn't enunciate it as clearly as Jesus does, but I think it's because he knows he doesn't need to, that he is late to the party, um, everybody he's speaking to and writing these letters to who many of them um, have been followers of Christ longer than he has. They already know what the gospel of the kingdom is. They get the message of Jesus. They understand the message of the gospel. And so he's just reminding them of that. I am preaching the same gospel, the, go- the good news of the kingdom. And he says this, I think, in like five different places. And so Jesus and Paul preached the same gospel. Uh, number one. And number two, when people want to say, well, I think what happened was that, you know, Jesus showed up. Now, chronologically, this is the way they're thinking. They're thinking, well, you know, Jesus shows up. Jesus preaches this amazing Sermon on the Mount, loving your enemies, blessing those who curse you, the kingdom of God's within you, um, all this kind of stuff, right? Turn the other cheek, right? So, beautiful, right? Care for the poor and the outcast." Yes, yes, yes. Love Jesus. Jesus had this beautiful, pure uh, message that's that's uh, that's uh, inspiring and compelling and transcendent. And man, I love me some Jesus, right? Jesus is awesome. But then again, chronologically, you're kind of. Um, I shouldn't say chronological. Well, this is this is the where we went into the problem because your Bible isn't chronological. I mean, it is and it isn't. Chronologically, yes. Jesus shows up first, and then Paul shows up. And then Paul, much later, after Jesus, writes uh, all of his letters, okay? That's what happened chronologically, right? And so, because that's what happened chronologically, what people want to say is, well, Paul's writings influenced and corrupted the teachings of Jesus, and um, but Paul, uh, you know, Paul didn't get it in some ways, right? And Paul Paul attempted to sort of co-opt and coerce and, and 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 ride this sort of Jesus movement off the rails in this other direction. And I disagree. I totally disagree. And here's why. Because um, even though in your Bible, in your New Testament, you know, it's it goes this way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then it comes, you know, Acts of the Apostles, and then Romans, and then all the letters of Paul, right? first uh, and, and the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, right? All of the, everything after that is Paul. So so in your mind, what you're thinking is that historically that the, the early church had all the Gospels, they had all this Jesus teaching because of the Gospels, and then Paul showed up and corrupted it, right? Because then later on came the writings of Paul. But you know, that's not the order in which those books in your te- New Testament were written. I mean, I could see where you could think that, yes, Paul comes along later and and kind of uh, derails the, the teachings of Jesus and corrupts them in some way uh, by what he writes in his letters. And this somehow influenced the church away from, uh, like, the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. However, the problem with that is that Paul's letters came first. So Galatians is probably one of the first letters— Uh, either 1 Thessalonians or Galatians. Again, there's some dispute about that, but at least, uh, they probably were written back to back, right? So one way or the other, you have Galatians and 1 Thessalonians or 1 Thessalonians and Galatians. So Paul's letters are some of the first writings any Christian would have ever had access to. Number one. And so if you want to argue that Paul came along later and corrupted people's view of Jesus, then understand That those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written after most of Paul's letters. So if it were true that Paul had sort of kind of negative influence on the Jesus movement, well, then you, whatever you're reading then in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is already corrupted. I mean, if there's any corruption going on, I, I would say there isn't any. Because if what you're saying is, when I read the Gospels, I read something that's radically different from Paul, then understand, Paul came first. And so if what came after Paul was something radically different from Paul, then Paul didn't influence that, did he? If he influenced it, it would not be radically different from Paul. It would sound just like Paul, at least in this level of comparison that most people are doing. Um, Again, they are usually comparing the worst of Paul with the best of Jesus. That's what I typically see. Again, if we if we kind of look much close, much much more closely at what Paul says, Paul affirms that what he preaches is the good news of the kingdom. In other words, what, what Paul is preaching in his preaching now it may not be in his all of his writing, but it's certainly in his preaching, which we don't have records of, or very much of anyway. We do. Book of Acts has some, like, again, the, I, I refer to this all the time, the uh, the sermon in Athens, right? That's a very Jesus-y sermon, boys and girls. Uh, Paul stands up and tells idol-worshiping pagans, God is your father, he loves you, he cares for you, he blesses you so that you'll turn and see him, and that this Christ is the one in whom all of us live and move and have our being. Wow. There you go. See, that's an example of the good news of the kingdom that Paul affirms that he always preached. It's not different from Jesus. It's not. And again, if Paul had some sort of negative influence on our perception of Jesus, then it didn't show up when they sat down to write the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. Uh, and again, when you compare certainly the Christology and the and, and we look at again the later Christology, the more advanced Christology of Jesus that we say we read and say the Gospel of John. Because again, the, the, the Jesus that appears in the Gospel of John is radically different. Much more transcendent and, you know, the, this being that existed before space, all space and time. Uh, that's who we see in the Gospel of John. But we don't really see that in the Gospel of Mark. You don't really see that in Matthew or Luke either. Although you can probably point to one, maybe two passages that kind of hint at it. Um, But nothing close to what you get in the Gospel of John. And again, nothing close to what you see in Colossians or Ephesians. Which, again, I, I genuinely believe that Ephesians and Colossians were written by disciples of Paul and were teachings that Paul most likely did give in private to his disciples um, and his disciples put this together and wanted to communicate this in in the letters of, of Ephesians and Colossians. I think those are legitimate. I think those are genuine. I think they fall in line with chronologically, sort of this um, emerging Christology that seems to start again in the early letters um, of Paul, like Galatians, First Thessalonians, um, and the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke. And uh, then begin to, uh, but fairly rapidly, in a series of decades later, um, it rapidly advanced to this Christ, higher Christology where you have um, Jesus being, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, as it says in the Gospel of John, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, the, the later Christology of Ephesians or Colossians, it says that you know, uh, that we are filled with the fullness of him who is Christ, who who fills everything in every way, or that Christ is all and is in all, and those that kind of language, um, which again develops rapidly, but still comes a little bit later chronologically, uh, even if it's not always mirrored in the ways, in the time frame of when they were written, if that makes any sense. So, um, bottom line is, I think that if we're dealing with the with the legitimate Paul, not necessarily always the pseudo Paul that we are, uh, we, we're dealing with a Paul that is, that is not that far off from Jesus. Now, again, we also need to admit this, this makes some people nervous, but it's, let's just be honest. Let's be true. The apostle Paul never met as far as we know, but he, let's just put it this way. He never claims to have met Jesus, um, in the flesh. Now, he does have, part of his testimony is, right, he sees a vision of Jesus that appears to him on the road. Um It's a vision, we know it's a vision, because he says that he heard a voice. He saw a figure uh that appeared to him on the road and identified himself as Jesus. But his companions heard nothing and saw nothing. But they thought, again, he says something like, they thought it had thundered. So they didn't hear a voice at all. They didn't hear any words. They They experienced something but they didn't see a physical Jesus standing there and frankly neither did Paul. So uh again I don't say this to to discredit Paul at all. I mean uh I would I could say the same about myself. I have never met the physical Jesus in the flesh, but I would say I have have encounters with Christ spiritually. I have had visions and dreams. Uh I I believe I have had the spirit of Christ speak to me and reveal things to me on uh on many levels. And so, no different, right? I'm not trying to discredit Paul by saying that anymore, that I would discredit myself. Um, But at the same time, we would have to understand that Paul never met, you know, Jesus, the person. Uh, He definitely did meet and encounter Christ, uh, the spirit of Christ. Um, And again, totally legitimate. That's totally fine. So, um, yeah, I, I don't personally... Although, like I said, I understand where it comes from when people say, you know, I love Jesus, but man, screw this Paul guy. I can't stand him, right? I roll my eyes. Oh, I hate him. I hate, I hate Paul. Well, again, understand maybe what you hate uh, is a version of Paul or something that someone stuck Paul's name on that isn't legitimately Paul. Uh, again, even if you do read some of the legitimate letters of Paul and you you detect a little, say, homophobia, or uh, insensitivity to people who are not normative, or uh, you detect a little bit of uh, misogyny there. Understand that in the, in the entire corpus of the true Paul, the legitimate writings of Paul, what we encounter is a Paul um, who is doing his best to include women, to affirm women, to praise women, uh, to acknowledge the women who are uh, have active roles in the early church, Uh, performing roles and duties as apostles, evangelists, prophets, teachers, you know, etc. And so, again, even though he's a product of his time and his culture, uh, he is way more advanced than many times we give him complete, full credit for. Anyway, I hope that's helpful. I hope, if nothing else, you have a more clear picture of the difference between real Paul and pseudo-Paul. Uh, hopefully a better understanding of some of the texts that may or may not be from Paul, and even how to approach the ones that aren't from Paul. Uh, And again, I also hope you understand that, um, that really the true Apostle Paul, he was aware of the teachings of Jesus. He did understand the gospel of the kingdom. That is exactly what he preached in his actual life, in his actual ministry, and he says so about six different times in different places. And so we know Jesus and Paul are not that far off. The places that I think they are, but they do get far off. And if you do encounter those kinds of things, well, then of course you should take Paul's own advice, as he says, "Follow me as I follow Christ." And if once in a while you come across some things in one of the epistles of Paul that don't sound like Christ, because I don't think Jesus would would be down with that, Paul, um, you have Paul's permission to. To disregard that, Say, so, yeah, I know. Sorry, Paul, you missed it right here. You you went off. You colored that outside the lines a little bit. You left the script, and now now as often Oswald happens, uh, you know this is Paul speaking and not the Lord, and you can use discernment to determine that as well. If something is not from Paul, uh, not from uh, but from sorry not from Christ but from Paul, and uh, and that's okay too. Anyway, I hope this is helpful. Uh, I want to thank you for taking time to uh, listen to this podcast and to to spend this time with me over Second Cup. I want to also remind you a couple of things, some quick announcements. Um, My new book, Solo Mysterium, Celebrating the Beautiful Uncertainty of Everything, is now available on Amazon in uh, print and in Kindle. The audio book will be coming very soon. Um, So go check that out. I have an online course starting in August, um, August, I believe August the 8th. That'll be a three-week online course. We'll take a much deeper dive into the book. I encourage you to sign up. It's $20. Um, we'll be reading through the book together. I have so much extra content that I couldn't fit into the book that I can't wait to share with you. You'll be invited to the private Facebook group. Uh, we'll read read through the chapters one at a time. Um, have some bonus material to look at, videos and clips and things like this. Um, some discussion that we'll have in a private Facebook group I've created just for this course. Um, if you're curious about it, you can find information on my blog, KeithJaws.com, or reach out to me on social media. Uh, I'll send you a link if you don't see it on my feed. Uh, I'd love to see you over there in the Solo Mysterium class. And uh, we are about to run another round. We're coming up on our, the beginning of our third year of Square One. Square One is a, a course, an online course, and a community, a thriving community of people who have gone through deconstruction, uh, who have walked through the process into reconstruction. And you are welcome to join us. Our next round begins August 22nd. I have a couple of sponsored seats available. So if you can't afford, typically I, I offer it for like 75% discount. And again, if you need, need the discounted link, let me know. I can send you that. Um, but if, even at the discounted rate, if you say, Keith, um, I, I still, I really need this. This is something I really, um, really need right now. This would be very helpful for me, but I really I can't even afford uh, the discounted rate. Please reach out to me. Please let me know. Send me a private message. Um, we have a couple of sponsored seats available. Some people have been have very generously donated to cover the cost of some of those uh, seats. So I am thrilled and happy to make those available to people uh, on that basis. So let me know if you can't afford it. We'd still love to see you over there in the Square One Course and community. Um, again, that start, starts August 22nd. And, yeah, I guess that's about it. Uh, that's, that's all for the announcements. Again, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Second Cup with Keith. If you have an idea for a future episode, something you would like me to go deeper into, something you'd like me to explain, maybe a passage of scripture or a doctrine or teaching or a practice of some kind, um, let me know. Drop me a line. Uh, I'm available, like I said, on social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you know, f- come find me. And uh, I'd love to hear what you think about the podcast and any ideas you have for future episodes. Uh, I'd love to talk about the things that you want to talk about. Thank you so much for listening again. God bless. And we'll see you again next time on Second Couple Keep. Bye-bye.